G'day. Osha here. Thanks so much for downloading the show. Jake Taylor's on the show today. He's a singer from a band called In Hearts Wake. It's a really interesting chat. Uh, I especially like the bit where he talks about his, uh, his stepfather. Um, totally biased because I'm a stepfather, but you know, we'll get to that part. If you've never listened to the show before, um, like all podcasts, they are free to listen to. Well, unless you're in a subscription situation, they're free to listen to, but they're not free to make. So I have to play an ad here. Now, if you hear an ad, you might not hear an ad, but if you do hear an ad, thank you. You help me pay Andy and Rachel and Haley who make me, help me make this show. So yeah, cool beans. If you hear an ad, ripper. If not, you'll hear Jake say something cool. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Getting outdoors, feet in the soil, there's a whole thing all oh, barefoot like oh my god hippies but no it really does letting that energy go through into the earth remembering that we're on this living body and we're a part of it it's got to start with you and the accountability before we can start to ripple out and change others and having to do this daily like have a mindful practice and one of those things is having a sit spot walking out into nature and every day you know spending time in that spot so i start to become a part of that ecosystem it starts to remember me daily Part of that allows me the time and space. How do I feel? What's going through? Where's my breath? What's going on? And then I start to connect back with the natural world and I feel like I'm good to go. I come out of that. There's different ways to get back, but the tree is wonderful. It really is. And we have to be like the tree, sequester carbon, grow food, (laughs) and start to be a forest together, man. Let's do it. That is singer, activist, and creator, Jake Taylor. And this is episode 359 of Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg, and thank you so much for being here. This is better than better than yesterday. I forgot the name of my own podcast for just a second there. Thanks for being here. Something that you hear on this show today will help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's basically the promise of the gig. That's what I'm here to try to do for you each episode. Is that episode 359. That's 359 interviews I've done. Far out, man. Uh, I'm also here on Friday. So I'm here every Monday with a guest, and on Friday I'm here with you, and we just have a chat. Sometimes I'm chatting with a guest, sometimes I'm chatting with you. But I'm just here to try and connect with you and try and help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's it. If you don't know who I am, thanks for being here. If it's your first episode, my name's Osher Ginsberg. I'm a TV host and an author and a, a stepdad and a dad and a baby chaser rounderer and a um, forget-to-take-the-bins-out guy. Um, what else am I today? Uh, uh, Soon-to-have-a-brand-new-prosthetic-hip kind of guy <laughs> from Sydney, Australia. 
And uh, I make this show twice a week. And I also make Dad Pod with Charlie Clawson, which comes out every Wednesday. And it's killing it at the moment. So thank you, everybody who's been supporting Dad Pod. And thank you as well to those of you who emailed me. Send us your email at gmail.com is my email address. And I love to see where you listen to the show. So please send me an email. Claire, huge morning at Claire's house, uh, sent an email in of listening to the show while baking sourdough bagels this morning and then finishing off my son's Gruffalo costume for book week. I mean... Holy shit, Claire. If I had baked sourdough bagels this morning, I'd be like, job done, uh, feet up, cup of tea, I'm out. But no, a, a Gruffalo costume. A bloody Gruffalo costume. Holy moly. That's humongous. Jennifer uh, has got a bunch of berries coming off the trees at her place. So um, making the most of the berries, fresh strawberries and blueberries are making a, a, a compote situation that they're going to freeze so they can enjoy it over the summer. Nice one, Jennifer. I love seeing a, a stovetop podsy because I do love to listen to a podcast while I cook. I'm sure you do too. And from Ben in Canberra, uh, making a brilliant picture of the little stovetop espresso maker. I used to have one before I got a machine. It's the kind of silver kind of octagonal looking thing. It's a like a mocha pot, I think they're called. And you put the water in the bottom, then you put the coffee in the middle, and then it bubbles up. Oh, man, I used to love the, the prep. Like any addict, I love to fetishize the prep. Ben, so yeah, he's got that happening. Ben saying, thanks for talking about mental health and sobriety. I'm a few years off the drugs and alcohol, but the darts have been the hardest. Yeah, man, hard to quit cigarettes. Uh, someone I was really close to, I watched them quit three times, man, three times. It's the one, it's so freaking addictive because it's in everything. You know, if you've ever smoked cigarettes, it's, you don't just stop at a red light. You stop at a red light, then light up a cigarette. You don't just answer the phone. You answer the phone and light up a cigarette. You don't just leave for work. You get in the car, light up, then reverse down the driveway. It's a part of every it's – it's in the habit chain. It's in the habit loop. It becomes so subconscious that it just happens. Uh, like checking your phone, really, you know. Like when you sit on the toilet, you pull out your phone, don't you? I know you do. I do. We all do. Hard to do, man. Keep at it, though. Keep at it. I was talking about uh, that with a mate at poker the other night. Mate, I guess all you can do is just find something else to do. I'd never smoked. I mean, I, I smoked, but I never got addicted to it. I never had to quit. You know, there was a time when I played in a country band. For about six weeks, I smoked soft pack stivies. That was about it, all right? What did uh, Tony used to say? He says, um, the three Ds. A, when you want a cigarette, don't. Number one. Two, Drink water. He said, drink like a liter of water. Gives your mouth something to do. And then three, do something else. Whatever it is, go do something else. That's what Tony used to say. I don't know. It worked for him. Whatever. We're with you, Ben. You can do it. What's happening here? Um, The baby is still up and down about deciding if he's going to nap in the afternoon. That's a bit tricky. If he wants one sleep or two, it's very hard to tell. It's day to day at the moment. So it's kind of weird. Anyway. Had another moment. I mean, you know how if you say Baker's Delight in front of your phone enough, eventually you'll see Baker's Delight show up in your uh, Instagram or whatever, not Baker's Delight, like anything, you know, eventually you'll scroll through that. It's been super duper creepy lately uh, and I've, I've found a way to turn it off and I need to do it on Audrey's phone as well. Like it's been creepy to the point of I've been discussing this business idea with Audrey. We've had a few conversations about how the business model might work and, you know, kind of sussing out what might do. And actually, you know, speaking to other person on the phone in front of Audrey's phone, having a conversation about how the business model might work. And last night around midnight, she scrolled past an ad. Let's bear in mind, it's a very specific kind of business and a specific kind of business model, a specific category. It's not at all coincidence that Audrey scrolled past her. Now... If I were paranoid, I would think that at the back end of Facebook and Google, there's a massive word cloud on a humongous wall screen that just shows what the world is discussing in front of their phones. And that leads a team to make long-term investment decisions and have a competitive advantage that would open up a gap between their investments and whoever was second to market that would absolutely be impossible to breach. But I'm not paranoid today. Just not today. (laughs) Anyway. I figured out a way to turn the mics off, so I might have to tell my turn the mics off. You know, say that you know you can always record a video in your camera app and then attach it to your Facebook thing. You don't have to record it in Facebook. You can turn the mic and the camera off in Facebook. Anyway, super creepy, super creepy. Anyway, we have a musician on the show today, and there's a particular musician that has just come back to Australia, and I'm very happy about it. 
and I would like to uh, talk to you about the podcast that she and I did quite some years ago. So if conversations with uh, musicians and people in the music industry and uh, conversations about how people got where they are in the music industry, if those kind of conversations are interesting to you, you may want to check out the episode that I did all the way back at episode 22 with Anna Luno. I think it's really important to inspire more action and more change. And even if you put, you know, one mix that I put on my SoundCloud, even if it only gets a thousand plays, but some kid goes on and creates the next big wave or I don't know you never know your influence and you never know what people pick up on kids write to me all the time and they're like oh you posted this on your Facebook and I decided to try and make this edit and I made this edit of it and I, I get so pumped because I'm like yeah changing stuff making this it's all moving forward it's all happening and that is really cool that's Anna Luno you can find her at episode 22 in this podcast feed to scroll back about six and a half years and you'll get there <laughs> So let me tell you about my guest today. Jake Taylor is the lead singer of the Australian metalcore band In Hearts Awake. Metalcore just means they're noisy, quite noisy. They've uh, just released their fifth studio album. It's called Kaliuga. They uh, come from Byron Bay in northern New South Wales in Australia, and they make music that is centred around particular themes such as, I don't know, like environmental justice, environmentalism, global warming, conservation. You can understand how I ended up with Jake on my podcast if you listen to this show quite a bit. If uh, that kind of music isn't your thing, if you've already heard, you know, the kind of genre and you're like, I'm not interested, well, hold on. This conversation's got plenty for you. It's a conversation about what it means to make art that is centred around your passion, about a relationship between the artist and the observer and indeed a relationship between a father figure and a son. It's a great conversation. Jake is a very deep thinking kind of guy. I'm really grateful that we spoke as well about the grounding practices and the kind of grounding practices that he has in his day every day. It's very interesting, the habits that he has to maintain his kind of situation, which is kind of cool. You'll understand when you listen. You can find out more about them in heartswake.com. They've got a tour coming up. I think they're playing a gig in November in Byron, and then they go around the country in March. Inheartswake.com. Enjoy this conversation with Jake Taylor. How are you, Jake? You good today? I'm good. Yes, I am good. Feeling very blessed to be where I am. <laughs> where in the world are you? I'm in Bangalore, New South Wales, Northern Rivers. So if people who are not from that part, and how far away are you from things that we might know? Well, as the crow flies, 10 kilometers from Byron Bay, maybe less. So yeah, everyone knows Byron Bay, unfortunately. Unfortunately? What are you talking about? <laughs> look, look at my t-shirt, man. Come on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> rather be at Splendor. I know we'd all rather be there this year. Now, how did you end up there? Did you grow up there? So my parents, they split. They were, we were living in Sydney when I was a young one, and they split, and my mother took me up here when I was seven years old, and I've grown up here ever since. Wow. So I only know what it's like to be, I think the first time I went to Byron Bay, I was 22. I had a, a green beard. I had a hair down in my ass. I was playing bass in a funk metal band, and I thought, wow, this is a great place to get high. Uh, <laughs> still is. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, yeah. Apparently. So it was very different. Uh, what's the thing that you've noticed changed the most since you've been there? Real estate prices. Yeah. That and the development. But the land is still so beautiful. It's really, really is. It's got a, an incredible spirit, the land here. And the beaches are really that amazing. Just uh, we have to just be mindful of the influx and uh, navigate that as a community somehow. What kind of things do you know? What kind of pressures do you, I mean, it's like, you know, it's not alone in beautiful parts of the world that have then the pressure of people wanting to come and experience the thing that makes it beautiful, but then the pressure of those people upon the thing that makes it beautiful stops it being beautiful. You know, this is a, a pattern that's repeated across the planet. What kind of things start to get impacted when more and more people start to navigate their way towards the area? Well, the culture of the place, which is often defined by the people. So those playing that funk metal with, you know, long hair and beards. Um, they can't afford rent, so the rent goes, goes way up. They move further and further to the hills. And as the, uh, as the rent goes up, you know, so do what kind of 
hospitalities facilitate that, what kind of clothing. So the, you really do see all of that change so quickly. Plus with two access points in and out, you know, one lane roads, you get lineups that can you know, be up to 30 minutes sometimes, which if you're in Sydney, it's nothing, but for Byron, it's nuts. Yeah. My buddy of mine used to live in Lennox and um, on a regular day, it was a 15 minute drive uh, up to Byron, but then it cannot be quite easily. Yeah. Well, it's been almost returned to its part of its natural flow, actually, these last six months. It's changing now, but seeing it really like just slow down was really quite special and watching everything just sing, like yeah. literally all the land and everything just coming back. So it was cool to give it a, a chance of, of rest. When you grow up in Byron Bay and you go to school around there, it has its roots in uh, surf culture and people who went overseas to experience surf in other places and brought back with them Eastern mysticism and, and connections with the land. And that kind of was in the roots of the inception of what took it from a whaling town to what people then came to want to be around it for. Is that kind of osmosed into you when you go to primary school there and high school there? Yeah, it was for me. I went to a Steiner school and everyone in my class were either had hippie parents, they didn't fit in, in anywhere else, they were outcasts, or they were just very creative and like weren't academic. And it was a time when, you know, those sorts of parents could also afford that sort of tuition, like scrape by. And so with those sorts of parents around and, and those mi- that mindful uh, yeah, education, it was really amazing to grow out of that. Now it's, it's much different from what I understand. You've, you know, the, the parking lots are full of Range Rovers and it's like a 600 waiting list to get in from what I hear. Yeah. So it's, it's changed, but beauty attracts beauty. It really does. And with that attracts that mentality and mindset that you speak of. I know someone, unfortunately, she's passed away now, but Annalise Brackensick went to that Steiner school when she was a kid. What is it, for people who don't know what a Steiner school is, could you kind of talk a little bit about what the difference of the education is there? Sure. Rather than pegging students up against students and having uniforms, having principals and strict curriculums, it's much more artistic. Uh, we would focus on, well, the teachers have more time with the student because they're smaller classes. And also, if a student really excels in art or music, or perhaps it's something to do with you know basketball or soccer, that, that child will really be encouraged to do that and allowed to do that. And there's a lot of freedom to grow those skills rather than uh, this dry... Um, education that I, I mean I I mean I was very lucky to go there I'm talking from a place of deep privilege to go there and it really nurtured those beautiful skills within myself to go you know what I can draw this or I can make music I'm super grateful for that and also expressing like the clothes that I wear I wouldn't go in with like a huge print that had bad boy on it or something but having a tie-dye shirt with an eagle on it was allowed you know that was just what we wanted to wear so it was good as well because the students and the relationships there, we all got along. There were small classes, yeah. Right. But it's not like it's some kind of petting zoo where the kids roam free. They still, you're still prepared for ultimately a tertiary education, right? Totally. And that's more in primary school. But going into high school, it becomes much, falls much more into the HSC. I don't even know what they call it these days. But yeah, much more into the curriculum. So it's an incredible way. And Rudolf Steiner, you know, he was the early 1900s, really led this this new way of learning. Do you see that some, you know, some things that could be maybe implicated into the, the state schooling system that, that well, like if you could put one or two things from the Steiner model into what we have in the state system, what things do you think we could, we could find value in? Gardening, for sure. We were doing some gardening, had a little like garden project. We would all plant a tree like in primary school. That was really cool, watching that grow over time. Uh, having the same teacher, in primary school that follows you goes with you develop a relationship there that is really incredible rather than oh the kid's just gotten used to his surroundings bam new teacher like new environment that really helped as well all right so once you got to grade seven the teacher would then go back to grade one correct whoa yeah so if you got stuck with the teacher you didn't get along with it's time to move schools but (laughs) the teachers were really amazing and my teacher was incredible but I guess you'd figure it out, you know. I guess you you would learn how to figure it out rather than the teacher going, okay, 30 more weeks, I'm rid of this little rut bag. Or you're going, okay, by the time I get to grade five, this will all be over. Hopefully I'll get Mrs. Jenkins and it'll be easier. Oh, and that's that's the other thing. So no Miss Jenkins, no Mrs. Someone. It's first name basis as well. Whoa. Oh, that's Which cool. Which is great. It's like we're all adults. You know, we humanize it in that way. Like, it's hey, Osha, not 
Mr. Gunsberg. Like, <laughs> and when you were when you were at that school, is that where the music and the the singing first kind of showed up? I think the creative side of it, not just music specifically, but being able to have visions to create an album with the art aligning with the music and the lyrics and yeah, just doing bold things was really a part of that. I, it felt like I'd had that practice in just having a wild imagination. There's a lot to be said for giving a kid permission. I was only talking about this just the other day, you know, with, with someone who's a, a school teacher and they were kind of trying to diminish a little bit. Oh, I'm just a school teacher. I'm like, no, but one minute of your life where you give a 13 year old, no, 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 that thing that you do, you should do that. You're good at that. When you give them that permission, that can change their entire life. Just giving a kid permission to, no, no, go ahead. If you want to do it, do it. That's so powerful, that stuff. Mm, encouraging, yeah. Sparks that can light a very, a much greater fire, yeah. Yeah, for sure. truly, truly. So when then, you know, obviously music must have been the thing that was interesting for you. Do you remember the first time you heard... I mean, look, ultimately, it's it's weird because it's just vibrations of particles in the air that hit our eardrums and then cause emotional reactions. It's a really strange thing. Do you remember as a kid the first time you felt like that music changed your mood state? Everything's vibration. <laughs> it is, man. It is. In terms of music, I always loved music, but for me, being a, a metal singer, which is like people always it's just such a stereotype but falling into that world it was when my mother and my guardian father now my stepdad they got together and he played a reunion show his band was called mass appeal and henry rollins was playing with black flag and they asked mass appeal to come on that and so i was 11 years old and of course i wanted to go but it was at the metro 18 plus they got me through the back way i remember seeing the graffiti on the walls I had no idea, absolutely no idea what the genre really was, to be fair. I mean, I knew Limp Bizkit and stuff, but I hadn't, didn't know what a live concert was like. And I got to stand side stage and watch my calm, like, giving, gracious stepdad get on there and just go nuts. And a thousand people in Metro just, oh, and that surging energy and those vibrations that really, really, like, it affected me. It really did. That that was the moment for sure. I cannot imagine what. How old were you when your stepdad shut? I'm now. I'm asking all the stepdad questions because I'm a stepdad. He was uh, when I was seven, turning eight. He came in. So my parents split, and then within that year, my stepdad, my mother's a tarot reader, and my stepdad uh, came for a tarot reading, and that's how they met. Right. And then we all went to Byron Bay. So I can't even imagine like you seeing this guy that you knew, and. You know, he was the guy that would drive you around to sports practice or whatever and drop you off to your friend's house. And then what, what instrument did he play? So here's the vocalist. Oh he was scre- he was screaming, yelling. So instead of driving, I mean, he'd drive, he was ama- he's amazing, but he was teaching me how to scream. <laughs> That's what we were doing. Not, not throw baseballs or kick soccer balls. We were like, this is how you don't hurt yourself, basically, Whoa. which is you still got to find all the ways, you know, it's, it, everyone's different. Every Every throat is built for different sounds. That's amazing. So you're 11 years old and you see this guy literally transform before your eyes. And for people who don't know, Mass Appeal is a band of some kind of seminal importance in Australian culture, certainly in the genre that they were in. To see, obviously, fans who had shown up and like, oh my God, I haven't been to one of these gigs in a long time. To then see the adoration in the eyes, because if you're a side of stage, you're seeing how people are looking at this man. What was that like? Organized chaos. Yeah. Just like the surging, that energy. Rather than being them, the the front row being in awe of, of Randolph and the band, it was like they were in it. They were in it just as much as the band were going absolutely crazy like that. Yeah. I don't want to say, I don't like the word possession, but rather than possession, it was being moved by the music yeah, yeah. to the point of like losing control. It was, it was amazing. It is, I can only imagine it would have been frightening. You're suddenly seeing these hundreds of people look like they're in a fight, but they're actually dancing. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved it. That was a barricade. <laughs> they, they were there. They, were, they volunteered to be there. It was awesome. And, he, and I got to meet Henry Rollins, and that was pretty cool. I remember just like looking up, how are you going? You know, it was like, you know, like big, deep voice, just like this monster of a man. That was pretty cool. I had no idea like who he was or what it was, but it stayed with me. 
that's a pretty decent defining or as far as an origin story, man. That's a pretty fucking good one. <laughs> so we were just on the hunt for okay, I gotta find guys that can do the other stuff that I can't do. I got the singing part down, now I've just gotta hunt for guys that can do everything else. Well, it planted a seed in me. It wasn't an urgent one, like let's get the band going. But as I started going to high school, you know, thirteen, I was young for my year, started year seven, there were shows happening around. Like Yellow Card, uh, was a punk band played in Brisbane. There was a bus going up from Byron. Then I found out there's actually punk and hardcore shows happening in Byron. And so I started going to those. You know, I was paying $10 and I was watching. Like, it wasn't sold out. It was in a youth center, 150 people. There were bands like Terror playing, Parkway Drive. Like these bands weren't selling out shows, but they had, it was just everyone who was there felt like they were part of something at the underground that was something special. And I'm so, so grateful I got to grow up in that golden era of hardcore in Byron Bay. Like it was, and, and anyway, it was there that I met what would be the, the band members that would be in Hearts Wake. Right. And as you kind of then moved, you were, you were quite young when you, when you kicked off. You weren't even kind of barely 18 as you started working into what you were doing. You know, like with many, many bands, it's, their first stuff sounds a lot like the things they were listening to. And that's that's fine. You know, stand-ups sound like who they were influenced by. Artists look like who they got taught by. Television presenters, we sound like who we looked up to. That's just what you do. When you listen to that early stuff, you know, it's this really wild thing. It's this little time capsule of memory that you've put together. When you listen back to that stuff that you made when you were just on the edge of adulthood, what do you think about it? Um that energy of being in those little rooms, man, like that space, it wasn't so much about a pop structure or having a catchy part. It was just energy and making crowds move because there was no rate. There was none of that involved. Didn't know what a hook was. So it was just writing riff and it was more like a, like a story. No two chapters were the same. So you just write a story and just see where it ended up. So that's, it puts me into that space. We were 14 when we started writing together. So it's a long time ago. Yeah. But, Oh, what a time. But it's interesting. You're talking about you weren't trying to create art that would leverage a sale of a unit. You weren't trying to create art that would leverage a sale of a ticket. You were trying to create art that would make for a moment between you and a crowd. Rather than talk about leverage, what I mean by that is we start to find out as we grow what fashion we gravitate towards, what music uh like really gets us going and we want to hear that part again. So it's giving more of the good stuff, just like your favorite restaurant, right? But at that age, I wasn't craving the same thing. It was constantly like, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. Like just it's more in that way. Now we don't look at it as a yeah, as a monetizer or a leverage, but it's really like what do we love the most and how can we evolve that part, but also be good enough that you want it to come back again. Yeah, I, I was just picking up on something that you said that you, totally. were just, you were just writing songs for this moment in the room with all these people, you know. Totally. And also, we, we were just exploring what the necks on the guitar were. Like, yeah. there's also a shine of not being confident in the part. So it's like, we have to do a new part. Like, it's not, we can't come back to that because I don't know if it's good enough. You know yeah, right. I mean? like, there's that going on too, probably. But it's, it's a beauty in that as well. Some of the greatest songs have no repetitive parts. You'd say that music writes a story and, and you, you tell a story through your music and it's not necessarily at that point, it wasn't so much about a hook. I'm sure, it, you know, the hooks and stuff came later because ultimately you don't want people to kind of hum your riff. What's that? Oh, it's this band. Yeah. You, you kind of want to, you kind of want to do have that in your life. But to go back to the Rollins thing and particularly Black Flag, that is music that there were no accidental songs on a Black Flag record. Every single Black Flag record is like what would now be a tweet that would catch fire. You know, every single Black Flag song was about something that was so that was so utterly fucked off about. There was a massive message in every single song. So when it came to start putting a bit of, I don't know, shall we say conscience and uh, moral communication and responsibility into music. When did that start to show up? That started to show up when we started touring the world. Growing up in a natural world, this beautiful area of the Northern Rivers, we didn't realize how important it was to our well-being, our health, our joy, our social aspect, everything, until we're in America touring and Europe touring for the first time and you're in terminals, buses, it's all new and wonderful, but I was like, well, there's a bit of a disconnect that started happening. And then we realized this is the thing we not only want to protect, 
but we want to share and encourage it in all, like everywhere as much as possible. When you do get into those humongous kind of machines of modern society and, you know, what's a machine ultimately? It's a constructed object that allows some sort of human idea to be uh, articulated quicker or more efficiently. And what's a bigger machine than a city? You know, it's got all these moving parts. It's got public transport. It's got water treatment facilities. It's got sewage. It's got food supply. It's this gigantic thing. But trees don't really come into it. <laughs> Not really. Wildlife doesn't really come into it. And once you start no. getting disconnected from that, it can really start to affect you, can't it? Yeah, it can. I find myself on maps looking at like where's patches of green a park so you can just go chill in before I set. I mean, we are part of, I mean, everything is part of, goes back to the natural world one way or another, even, even the skyscrapers. But we've become so removed and insulated to the point of we've almost forgotten that we are as much part of nature as it as it is a part of us and uh that disconnect i think i think it's coming full circle though actually we're starting to realize that it's it's what matters we're getting back to it as people in cities are discovering absolutely so when you, on those early tours it must have been though f- phenomenally exciting to be you know totally not a lot of people get to, and a lot of people go not at the moment obviously but they go on the big overseas adventure when they're 18 19 not a lot of people get to do that in a band no it was <laughs> it was amazing it wasn't like, oh, these cities are terrible, but there did feel like a, this integration period that had to happen when we left and when we came back. And then when it comes to, I have this opportunity with a piece of music that, you know, I have to get out of bed at ridiculous hours to play or to tour or to travel to. This is an opportunity, not only for a message, but something that, what is the intention? What do I believe in? What gets me out of bed? And in finding that, it was quite natural. Like, look, what is it going to be? Not seeking it out, but it just coming forth. This is about the earth. This is about, like, the health of, of us. This is everything. Because there may be a bit of, you know, I am old. I'm nearly 50. I grew up in a time when there were pop songs on the top 10 charts that you could dance to that had really serious like anti-nuclear war messages or really heavy environmental messages. It wasn't the folk songs of the 60s. It was someone like Midnight Oil was an enormously powerful band who wrote fucking hot songs that you could boogie to, but were also about maybe we shouldn't follow America down this path. You know, it was it was kind of interesting. And that seems to have gone away a lot as far as mainstream music culture goes and to many people you know this is a casual listener not like a hardcore kind of music fan people who only digest their music from whatever spotify is serving them up that day or what happens when they turn on the radio they may be you know someone who could just dismiss music as being oh it's that thing that's on when i'm at the shops you know this idea that a, a band may go actually no there's some actually serious messaging going on here and and not only that but the audience that we play to is really receptive of that we could probably understand that in a pop music or a folk band for a metalcore band to understand that their fans would be into that might be tricky for someone to comprehend i guess so when did you first start to understand that the people who were into the sort of music that you were playing were starting to be receptive to this kind of messaging that you were putting out well i feel like you know, rock and roll, punk, to hardcore, to metal, metalcore, heart, whatever you want to call it. These have all stemmed from a rebellion to the status quo of the genres that are happening. They are heralding and amplifying change. It, this is, it feels like we're the people in the underground, unhappy with what's on the radio. And there's that urgency and there's that call to arms that I feel that happens down there. Even if it's just celebrating, like, even anger and rage has a place for some artists, Right. But it deals and gets into that nitty gritty. And I really feel that that's why it's becoming like, I mean, the whole nature and, and health and getting back to the earth is kind of becoming mainstream. I mean, it needs to be. But the funny thing is, it's kind of been in this place of rebellion, you know, because it's not where the money's been driving. The money's been driving the corporate agenda. So that's why I feel that it just has worked. And it works not only just with our fans, but the metal crowd in general. A lot of them are like conscious uh, healthy eating. I mean, some drink, some get tattoos, but they get it out in other ways and they're living such incredible lives. And most of the time they're really smiling. The most beautiful, beautiful people that are so welcoming that I've experienced, which was like, don't judge a book by its cover. I've instantly noticed. Whereas the mainstream crowd tended to be, in my opinion, uh, much more naive and not wanting 
to realize and accept what is happening. Yeah. When it comes to, you know, making songs about environmentalism or justice around environmental practices and, uh, you know, the influence of corporate money on, on policy, it's tricky to make a song that makes people kind of think about that stuff. But is there a point where you're like, I can't not write about it because this is what's in my heart. This is what the song's going to be about because this is it. Totally. And there's other ways to tell that story too. It doesn't have to be on the nose. You can tell it from a, we did a song from the water's point of view in a different voice, for instance, which is a bit more in riddle form. Or it can be in another way we, we've done it is like, who's steering the ship? You know, we're all on this ship. Like, who's steering it? You know, someone's like, oh, we're, there's captains are on voyage. But like, it speaks to a greater message. There's many ways to do this. But yeah, it really comes from a real place. One that I, when I check in, I'm like, yeah, like this is, this is important. And this affects not only me, but if I have children one day, it's going to affect them too. So yeah, I want to, I want to be like, yeah, I did my best, man. I did something about it. And that's the stuff that gets me out of bed every day. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I recall, God, is a long time ago, before many people were even thinking about this sort of stuff, I remember reading about the Pearl Jam record and tour that was going to be carbon neutral. And this is like 2002 or 2003. They were looking to make a carbon neutral tour. And I'm like, what the, what is that? I had no, <laughs> you know, I had like no idea what that was, but I'm just like wondering now, when it does come to the music industry and when it does come to the logistics and the carbon output of being in a band, you can sit there at your at your Bruno Mars show and you can watch that light show and go, damn, but that's like a half a terawatt of power. Like it's, 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 a, big, it's a big deal. Uh, there's a lot of energy going into that. When you are trying to tell a message like that yet at the same time go okay we're also a band that has a pretty decent chunk like we're touring six people we're traveling you know we're using these all this jet fuel we're we're using all this power at our shows like how do you start to make all that stuff work together so it's in alignment with your values well first of all you can't keep too hard on yourself you've got to accept this is problematic we're not going to get this perfect it's got to be a disclaimer that has to be out there not just as an excuse but to just allow yourself to go on this adventure and do the best you can. I think that is important. Otherwise, if we look too far into everything, think of all the materials that are into this computer that I'm speaking to you through. I mean, yeah, we can. So I've got to be wary of that and it can be a a trap that I can fall into. So good to have that. (laughs) But yeah, first step is accountability. And that comes with seeing like, where is my output? Like, where is our output as a band? Just go by measuring the flights, looking at, operations you know just just do it over a year and then you can see oh wow that's where most of our impact's going hang on a second could we reduce that and you don't know until you just start calculating and, and having a look into that and that was one of the steps that we've sort of taken into our learning phase moving forward yeah we've got we basically came up with five ways like bands alive do the five no we came up with about five ways to look into and that was that's been our big journey for the last year and what are those five ways, Jake? Well, first of all, yeah, calculating and offsetting. So for this record, I mean, I measured power sockets, lights, flights, <laughs> driving miles, freight. It just, just went, I went ham because I didn't, there was no rule book. This is how you do it. And so we looked at the record as an as a entire project, worked with an incredible woman here in Byron Bay, who we call our earth accountant. 
and we offset that in a uh, biodiverse project in Western Australia that works with restoring the ecosystem, animals. That was the first thing that we wanted to just like, let's really try and achieve this, not knowing if we actually could. Then the second was, okay, the packaging. We have to address the packaging. What's it going out in? So we worked with our label, UNFD, to find ways. How can we not wrap it in plastic? How can we put it on 100% recycled materials? Most of the, reta- like the retailers said, no, like we're not going to take it. It's not shrink-wrapped in plastic. It's going to fall out. It's going to get damaged. So we developed this thing that uh, basically kept it inside, shipped it out in recycled. You know, The whole thing was a huge learning process. Then the next step was the merchandise. I mean, these are going out with T-shirts, right? So I drew the line and said, all right, using the research I'd done with, I've got a brand called Earthwalker, and we do hemp and organic cottons. And so I used all that knowledge to apply it to the garments. So no pesticides on the garments. No, like, all right, we'll get a windbreaker that's made out of you know polyester from Thailand. Let's just use it as ethical as we can find. And the next thing is the touring, as you said, and that's, we had all these plans to calculate the next tour as well as not have huge inflatable beach balls that made out of plastic, uh, not have huge explosions on stage, letting off like plastic confetti, basically pulling back all the production, getting uh, power readers to measure the output and just calculate again like we did with the record. And then the last step was what we pledged at the start, which was for every record that we press, let's plant a tree for every record that we press. Let's do that with our fans. If we can't do it with our fans, then let's implement those trees. So these were like the five areas that we set out to do as a band. And um, the touring, I mean, we haven't toured yet. But in the other ones, you know, they're all they're all in a learning phase, but it's it's going well. And it's been like had just some amazing conversations with people. It's been the coolest thing. You've just described what I totally feel will be the kind of future that we're looking at. If we're looking at net zero and if we're looking at negative post-2050, which we're kind of going to have to do. We're going to have to get more out of the atmosphere than we put into it. What you've just described may seem like a handful to somebody, but it might just be what we're looking at when it comes to any kind of business process. This kind of thinking, at first, it seems like a handful because it's something we've never heard of before. What do you mean? You measured a power socket from the start of a project to the end of a project? Yeah, but you know, you measure how many pieces of A4 paper you use. So if you're a lawyer, you're billing every piece of paper. You're billing every five-minute <laughs> increment of a phone call. You know, all this kind of stuff has been done for decades in the legal profession, right? And similarly, like if I told you at the start of February, I know, Jake, come September, you'll need a face mask. You'll need to have two meters between you and the next person. You'll need to carry hand sanitizer with you. Every meeting you have will be over the internet. You know, all these things you'll be like, but I can't possibly go on. No, you figure it out. And it's kind of interesting that you're, what you're describing is it's a lot, but only it's only a lot because we haven't done it before. But when you think about what it ultimately is and that it's worth it, the effort doesn't seem wasted when I listen to you describe it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, being in a room by yourself, it's, it's important to be in those rooms because it's undiscovered, uncharted territory, but it does involve looking at all of the blind spots. Once we have those, then it's like, hey, here's the blueprint. You know, you just go bam, bam, bam. And that's the idea, but you don't know until you try. Yeah. And then you and your environmental accountant start up the software as a service uh, label that other bands can sign up to, and then they can run a project from where to go and have, because you can't tour, that's the, the income streams. I'm just, <laughs> just workshopping here, man. Just workshopping here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, was, I was really interested to talk to you today, uh, not only because, you know, the, the environmental stuff that you're into and how you see things, but I'm also kind of fascinated because I, I haven't really had, I've spoken to plenty of people who in theater and film and, and, and TV since this pandemic began, but I haven't really had a good chance to speak to someone who's in music. The music industry is so different now to when I started. I started in the early 90s as a roadie, and then the main amount of money you would get as a songwriter was from a physical unit that got sold. Physical units stopped being valuable around about 2005 uh, when iTunes launched. And before that, if Napster shows up, if you want to go that far back. So really the only way that bands can monetize now is through ticket sales to a live show and merchandising. However, as you just described, uh, merchandising can be problematic and no one's doing live shows for a while. So how do you guys... (laughs) 
how do you look forward as a business model to stay afloat, to pay the rent, to put groceries on the table? How does it, how does it work? What happens now? What does it look like? Well, I think looking at this whole year in general and what's been like outside of us, let's just say, not to undermine some people going through some very, very difficult times, and they are. However, me personally, I've been lucky enough to be in the situation. I can view it like this, but I've had to look at it as an opportunity to try new things, to dive deeper, and to really like expand my skill set, even though there's been so much resistance with, oh, like, you know, oh, I don't want to learn this, or I don't want to do this. So, you know, royalties, from what I'm seeing, it's, it's, there's nothing... It's nothing more or nothing less. For the most part, I think people just are streaming things as if they want it to be the weekend because, you know, bring on the good times. So merchandise is kind of a normal thing, I guess. It's not no huge fluctuation. However, so you can't, you know, yes, tour. Tours would be great because you sell merchandise, connect with fans, streams go up when you tour. So now that that's taken out, we're looking as a band, how can we create, yes, sustainable income to keep creating to keep doing what we're doing so one of those ways is reimagining our band doing it more acoustic stuff we've actually done a few tracks in the past that stream quite well so we know that we do have uh, a fan base really does appreciate that so we're going to work on like putting together a couple of reimagined shows that can be done you know much smaller for instance that's one way we're going to look at things the other thing to do would be looking at your core fan base and how to be able to, to provide them still with the offerings that you could on a stage, but how can you do that by having, you know, I hate using the word subscriber, but like it's a support, a monthly, you know, support fund basically to have an exchange there where they can be a part of something and keep it all flowing. So those are, those are the two ways in which I'm now looking. And then there's government grants that every, you know, man and his dog is out there doing their best to, to get a hold of. Yeah. And, you know, aside from that, maybe it's time to also develop some other skills outside of being a band, which we can bring back in. And, and that's kind of where I'm at also. Your uh, flexibility in this situation is, is extraordinarily admirable because it's really hard to accept, and but it's the absolute truth. Live performance was the very first thing that went during the pandemic. But music was the first thing that people turned on when they got home. Music and Netflix, you know. Well said. Uh, well well said. it's true though. If you're yeah. having a shit day, you can play that song that was playing when something went great. You are transported back to that moment and those vibrations that came through the air and touched your ear holes have now changed how you feel inside. All right? But the people that made that music, the people that created that won't, be able to go back to do the thing that they do and create more of that music for quite a while. And that kind of sucks. I wouldn't worry too much about government grants because if this country can spend $350 million flying Australian shellfish overseas, I could probably help out our arts a little bit. Um, they true. need to. Yeah, they need to. Well, I've got to say, art will always find a way, you know. Yeah. Look at the, the some of the greatest arts been born out of oppression, recession, post-World War. So I know it'll find a way. It's, it's got to because it's like that stuff comes from the heart. Some of the best stuff is born like that. I just would, would love to see it on a stage. Don't get me wrong. As a reaction to oppression and a reaction to stifling. And, and yeah, I do. I mean, I'm old and I've got hearing damage and I'm sober. So going out is hard. But I do miss being slammed into a room of complete strangers pushed up against my back, my shoulders, needing to piss but not knowing I wanted to lose my spot waiting through a band I don't know anything about because I want to see the band that is headlining. I kind of miss that feeling. I miss that feeling of being in a throng of people all there for the same thing, being in that, oh, these other thousand people here in this club, they get it. They know what's up. They've done what I've done. They've bought a ticket to this band that I don't think anybody else knows about, but we're all here together and I'm around my people. I miss that feeling, that feeling of being together in a room. I really miss it's it. natural. Yeah, it's human connection. It's part of the human experience, gathering in groups. It really is. And moving to that same music, like it's part of, mm. it's part of the human experience. It really is. There's just no way it can be suppressed forever. Like it's yeah. going to find a way. I don't think that you will have trouble finding that because I think just by the, the kind of music that you guys make, the kind of songs that you create, the audience that attract sound like the kind of people that will go with you. If you go, all right, guys, this is where we're going to go. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be on Twitch or we're going to be whatever. It sounds like those kind of fans will come with you and be a part of that. 
And who knows? Like this might be an entire reimagining of what we thought because ultimately what we're only doing what we have been doing for literally thousands of years by getting a lot of people in one room to listen to a musician play a song. You know, <laughs> we've never had to do it any differently. But mm. now's a chance to, to figure it out. Yeah, we're evolving, aren't we? Yeah, and we're evolving, having to evolve really quickly. I found a lot. I don't know. Have you seen any live streams that are actually kind of rad? I, a lot I've found of, I mean, I've got a background in music television, so I'm quite biased because I've seen it done really, really well. And I found <laughs> a lot of live streams kind of wanting, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a tricky one to pull off. I've seen, only seen a couple. I need to watch more. We, we've actually, we did one. Yeah. It was really good. There was a few key things. And that was, for me, like imagination casting that crowd into that lens out there and allowing that barrier to be like to not feel like oh my god there's just cameras in the room really trying to connect with those cameras imagining what's happening on the other side and where we were beaming into as well as comedy comedy is really important it can't just be like a serious bum, 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 bum. it's got to have human moments and interaction so that was those were key for us to also enjoy it on stage and not take the whole thing too seriously as well as having like, yeah, do the acoustic stuff, then jumping back to the stage. We also used the room from multiple angles, which was new territory. Normally, you get one one little spot. It's the stage, you know? Yeah. So this was a chance to use the ground, the back of the room. And uh, it was cool because it, 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 we actually got to watch ourselves in the replay because we had the thing for 48 hours and we've got the files now to see it. You're just like, wow, like I, that's what I do? Like, <laughs> it was actually helpful, you know? Like, maybe I should free up that space there so he can shine and come forward in that solo moment. Like there's lots of little key moments that you notice. At, at the same time, as you mentioned, it's a really exciting time because there's nothing but possibility here. And this leads us back to kind of what we we're talking about earlier with the environmentalism stuff. People tend to be quite afraid of changes to be made as far as that community goes to, what's the word I'm looking for? Minimize our impact environmentally and try and mitigate the effects of climate change because it's change and people are afraid of change. But there's so much possibility in stopping to do something. And I read just this morning and, you know, we knew it was coming, but this morning China's like, and we won't be needing coal in about uh, 30 years. So thanks for that. And so, you know, the decision was always going to be made for us here in Australia. And now we have two ways to look at this. We can look at it through the eyes of fear. Oh, fuck, no one's going to buy our coal. What's our economy going to do? Or we can go, brilliant. Now's our chance. Let's put this back together in a different way. And it's at the same time, really exciting time because of that. What do you reckon? I reckon you're totally right. The word change somehow has a bit of a negative stigma around it almost. Like it's a reaction like, oh, like change, like, oh, things are changing. If we change the change word to evolve, we switch it out, like evolution, evolve, that sounds like, oh, yeah, like that sounds positive growth. I think of the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. I think of metamorphosis. And that's really what's got to happen. And to understand, like we think that these changes are happening from the top, but really the, let's remember that the bottom of the pyramid, there's the people and the people are voting and the people are changing this. So we have to affect it from the bottom so that it dissolves. And that's the way forward. And I think I believe that is what's happening. It just seems that they, they hang on as long as they can at the top to that idea or that feeling because it's just so convenient and the change is inconvenient. And that is where we feel oh, uncomfortable. That's where the fear steps in because it's something new and unknown. And I, I guess in many ways, the people at the top are in large part there because the systems that we're talking about have helped them get there and keep them there. But as you mentioned, the people at the bottom vote, but they also vote with their wallets. I read the other day it was a Stanford or Princeton study, one of those two ones, um, from 2014. It was a bit sad, but it was also kind of true uh, that public protest rarely changes anything as far as policy goes. It's fiscal that makes the difference. It's money. It's where people spend their money that changes policy quicker than anything else. And here we are, you know, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> we have this opportunity yeah. every single day to vote. And the words of Shannon Noll, people vote with their wallets. And I'm happy with how they're voting. <laughs> Thanks, Nolsey. <laughs> well, he was he was hitting back at someone going on about, do you feel that you didn't win Australian Idol? He's like, mate, people vote with their wallets. I've played 300 shows this year and everybody <laughs> bought a ticket. And it was a pretty great line. 
That's right. We we cast votes every day, every dollar we spend, a hundred percent. And so choose ethical investment. Like choose the brands, the companies, the food. You've got a choice, and that you look at the chain of where that leads back to, the way that the cotton was harvested or grown, or the way that your fruit was grown. It supports those people living on the land. So it's important to yeah to look at all that, know, knowing that you can't get every single thing right again, but to do that because those at the top. I mean, they're on castles of sand and the tide's coming in. It's changing. Oh, shit, man. (laughs) The tide is well and fucking truly coming in, which is tricky when you, you know, when you look at Byron Bay and you look at, you know, I remember just being just aghast in horror, but I just had to accept it. You know, it's as a city council, you know, they're looking at managed retreat as a policy. You know, those houses that are falling into the sea in Belongeal, they're like, well, we're not going to build a seawall, guys, because mm. not going to really do anything. It's tough, man, as far as an area that is full of so much natural beauty is also quite low-lying. You know, do you get a sense that people around you and near you are are aware of, of what's to come in the next 30, 50 years? Yeah, I think most people are pretty switched on with what's coming. However, there's a bubble mentality of how amazing everything is now it's beautiful and it's happening and there is a staying present which is also beautiful but there's definitely a switched onness for sure and that's why like mcdonald's still isn't in the shire and like there's still no traffic lights like there's some laws and some codes that we've stuck to uh, you know the council and if people really enforce that that is there and i that really does lead to where byron is currently i really do believe yeah that um there's an awareness when it comes to diversifying what it is that you do, as you spoke of earlier. Do you find yourself kind of being drawn towards more work in kind of advocacy and stuff outside of the band? So where I spend my free time is over the last four years, four or five years, I've been doing a lot of like wilderness survival skills in a lot of camps, getting back to the earth in that way, like friction, fire, building shelter, cultivating water, weaving with whatever natural materials you can find. And part of that has opened up nature in a whole new way as like, you know, it, it all of a sudden becomes the Bunnings or the Woolworths down every forest, you know, corridor. It's like, wow, that's like that tree can be used for that. And, and there's an appreciation for all of the elements and trees and the animals that go with it. And so I'm finding that that is a huge part of, of where I like to camp, spend my free time whenever I can. I'm just learning now. I'm still in a learning phase. I'd love to be able to to offer a space to teach others, whether I'm the teacher or not, facilitating teachers to come in and really encourage that. And part of that reforesting, regrowing, which is this tree planting, it's, just, it's, it's happened for me in, in various ways with the band in my own world. And I would love that to continue forward, perhaps planting a tree for every student. Who knows? That seems to be the way that I feel I'm being called towards. And that would involve land. It would involve uh, learning all of the skills that reduce our impact essentially, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not its not like you're learning all these skills for when we eventually have to end up walking down the Fury Road looking for water. You, I, I get like you're trying to appreciate what it is so you can share with others why it's important to protect what we've got, right? It's thrival, not survival. <laughs> thrival. That's what it is. <laughs> it's got to be said. And yeah, like I'm a huge advocate for that. And it's not a doomsday thing at all. It's actually rather being the victim, oh my God, like, world's going to crumble and I'm going to have to do something about it. And I'm so afraid. Let me like quick panic. Let me learn all the things. It's no, let me empower myself with having these skills so that I can move through environments with confidence and be a caretaker of the earth. That's kind of the mentality I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get out of bed and raise myself for and extend that as, as the hope that as the way that, you know, there, there's a reality out there that, yeah, you know, the population might not all make it at some point in time, doesn't mean you've got to be like a, you know, a survivalist to get through it, but it's going to be the communities that work well together, that have that, uh, those earth skills, those things that we were always, we've been gifted for, it's a birthright, basically. Those are the things that are really going to promote not only health, but happiness. What's your hope for Australia when you look forward, like say, I don't know, five years from now, what would your hope for our country be? Oh, I mean, on a political level, it'd be great to, be great to, get rid of all single-use plastics, it would be fantastic to get onto renewables, 100%. All the schools learning how to grow food, 
all the prison systems, the inmates, everyone growing food. Like it, it's just side note. It's it's a proven thing that it's the one of the greatest things to mental health is getting your feet in the soil, hands in the dirt, fresh air. So I feel like that would ever give everyone everyone purpose and empower everyone. That'd be fantastic. Five years is a big ask. Where we're evolving. I mean, yeah, that's, that's ultimately what I would love. And just to rather than going wider and like going to deals with China and deals with the UK, let's go deeper. Let's look at what we've got right in front of us. Let's bring it back into the, the macro and the micro communities and work back outwards. I think we've been approaching it the wrong way. Anything different would probably be handy at this point because what we've been trying up to now has got us where we've got and where we've got isn't going anywhere good. So trying anything different would be a good idea. If people were to do kind of one thing, and it seems you've come back to this a few times in this conversation, but I'm guessing like if people were to take one thing from this conversation, would it be to do with connecting yourself to the growth, the, the germination of a seed, the, the planting uh, and seeing that plant thrive and perhaps even eating it? It's, it's a great one. It's a great solution, particularly if you're in a city and you're listening to this because you can get a pot on your windowsill. You can grow anything. So that is that really is a way to reconnect and watch that life form grow and care for it for sure. Getting outdoors, feet in the soil, there's a whole thing, oh, barefoot, like, oh, my God, hippies. But no, it really does. Letting that energy go through into the earth, like remembering that we're on this living body and we're a part of it. It's got to start with you and the accountability before we can start to ripple out and change others. I'm having to do this daily. Like this does not come easy. I get over there. I'm like, yeah, that's good to go. Like I've got to have a mindful practice. And one of those things is having a sit spot, walking out into nature and every day, you know, spending time in that spot. So I start to become a part of that ecosystem. It starts to remember me daily. Part of that allows me the time and space to how do I feel? What's going through? Where's my breath? What's going on? And then I start to connect back with the natural world and I feel like I'm good to go. I come out of that. So I just just getting back. It's, there's different ways to get back, but the tree is wonderful. It really is. And we have to be like the tree, sequester carbon, grow food, <laughs> and start to be a forest together, man. Let's do it. We can't ignore that we are a living creature, part of a greater system. In many ways, our lives have been made incredible by separating ourselves from that. I mean, right now, we're both sitting in rooms. We are sheltered from the elements right now, and it has allowed us to survive in parts of the planet that we otherwise would never be able to survive in. Yet, there is a part of our evolution, part of our brains that work, that is 100% tied to being in connection with other living organisms. Biophilia is the name of the word. And I can only speak from experience, Jake. I spent five weeks in Victoria, two of them in total lockdown, as I mentioned before. There was one tree that I could see. I was in the Docklands, which is kind of like uh, Darling Harbour without water or restaurants. It's the big, giant, concrete, shiny glass building district of Melbourne and the stadium as well. There was one tree that I could see, which was six floors up, two streets across from where I was. That was the one tree that was on a, an office pot plant. Wow. It was the one tree that I could see for five weeks. And I well, really fucking felt that. <laughs> wow. Well, what, but what medicine to just see the tree too, like to, oh, to recognize it and to see that it's growing and still there, yeah. surrounded by all the concrete and mess yeah. and noise. And that was, that was symbolic of you feeling like yeah. that tree too. It so. was pretty, but honestly, we don't have a front yard. We have a, we have garden. By garden, I mean, three planter beds where a lot of our food comes from and um so just this morning i've been eating broad beans that grew in our front yard and it, dude yeah it's the great i love i eat salad out of my front yard every day and it's yeah it's not hard to do it's not no. hard to do and i love it we had greens for dinner last night that came out of the front yard and it's we our front yard is about as big as this room it's like three meters by five minutes we live in a semi you know we don't live in a big house but in that small amount of space, you can you can grow so much food. Totally, hundred percent. And I see the change it makes in Aud when Audrey, she's the gardener at uh, the Fijian. She does all the gardening, uh, most of it. And man, it just changes her day, and it's brilliant. I love it. Shout out to Audrey. Yeah, man, she's all about it. The Chinese greens came out last night because they went to flower, so they're done. And that's the other thing, you know. You go, you see the cycles of it all. You're like, okay, this plant's done now. This plant, okay, mm. we're going to pull that plant out because it's done its thing. And now we put another plant in. The cucumbers are going in next. It's going to be great. True. If you drop the seeds, it keeps going. 
It's going to be great. Jake, I'm so grateful I could speak to you today, man. It's been really cool connecting with you like this. I'm really grateful that we've got a chance to talk. It's rad, man. Thank you so much for your time. And do let us know if there's, you know, when it comes to whatever it is that looks like when you are able to perform, let us know what that looks like because I really can't wait to see what it is you guys come up with. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. No, I will let you know. And maybe I'll have to start this uh, Earthwalker camp (laughs) before we get to touring. Who knows? Mate, I'm in. When Wolfie's a little bigger, it'd be rad. Take the little fella out of the bush. Let's go. (laughs) Let's get get that land. Go fund me, baby. (laughs) That was Jake Taylor. Go and check out In Hearts Wake uh, wherever you get your music. And um, you can go and check them out on tour. You go and see them live in heartswake.com for all the dates. They're doing a gig in Byron in November and then a national tour in March. Uh, thank you so much, Jake, for being on the show. Thanks, Gabe, for lining it up. And thanks to my audio producer, Andy, who helped me make this show. Rachel, who uh, produced all of us. Haley, who did all the social stuff. And Mike, for the great music. If you need to get in touch with me, super easy. Send us your email at gmail.com. Yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> I'm going to go upstairs and feed a baby that should be asleep. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'll talk to you on Wednesday with Dad Pod. And uh, Friday, I'm back here. In the meantime, you can follow along on Discord, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and you can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Ginsburg. I've been really enjoying streaming again this week. It's nice. I really like the vibe. I love getting in there and having a chat with everybody. It's super cool. And uh, so if you follow along on Twitch, it'll let you know when I'm on and then you can join in with a chat and we can have we can hang out it'll be great all right team i'm gonna jet until we speak on wednesday with dad pod sleep well and dream of beautiful things okay i have two new obsessions that i need to share with you impress no glue press on manny's and impress press on falsies lashes Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.